All right. Welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a author and writer and podcaster. This uh, thing that you're listening to is sort of the cousin of my newsletter, Single-Minded. You can check that out at jessesingle.substack.com. My sort of main gig is a podcast I do with Katie Herzog at blockchainreported.org. You can check that out too. Uh, tonight, uh, I will take whatever questions or comments you have after I give a little bit of an opening spiel. I thought I would be a little bit more energized to do this late at night. I naturally have insomnia and I'm sort of a night person, but I'm feeling uh, the 11 p.m. Smart, start, <laughs> smart time. <laughs> Start time a little bit. So I apologize if I sound a little bit lower energy. I'm going to try to stay with it. I think I um, forgot that I am old and decrepit. But yeah, feel free to jump in the queue. I want to talk a little bit about there's uh, the big story on media Twitter today was that Glenn Kessler yesterday, uh, Washington Post writer, uh, fact checker column, posted something called a one source story about a 10 year old and an abortion goes viral. So this is this horrible story about a 10-year-old uh, who was impregnated in Ohio and uh, had to travel to Indiana to get an abortion because of Ohio's trigger law, which is just incredibly draconian and doesn't contain uh, exceptions for rape or incest. It does contain an exception for the life of the mother or the you know serious health of the mother, but I, I don't understand why anyone would think that you could trust authorities to assume – who passed such a draconian law or are tasked with enforcing it that they would do the right thing in a case like this. I just think people are being too credulous on that front. Anyway, Kessler pointed out that this this story quickly went viral, uh, went all the way up to Joe Biden himself, uh, but he, he looked at the Indianapolis Star article on it, which I'm looking at now, and this is just one part of the article. The headline for that, if you want to Google it, is uh, Patients Head to Indiana for Abortion Services as Other States Restrict Care. Uh, Kessler pointed out that this was pretty thin. So it was a single source, just one part of a much longer story. Single source, Dr. Caitlin Bernard, an Indianapolis obstetrician gynecologist, um, who said she performed the abortion. And I, people are absolutely wailing on Kessler for having published an article that was, he didn't say it was false. He basically expressed some skepticism. Uh, I think, in terms of like traditional journalistic values and norms, he's totally right. This is just like five graphs of a bigger story, but it's very thin. It doesn't explain what they did to try to show the two authors at the Indy star did to try to show they confirm this. And when I mentioned the whole single source thing, a lot of people pointed out, uh, Journalists do accept a lot of things on the basis of one source. That's not the issue. It's obviously true that in some cases we will attribute a claim to one source or back it up with one source. It's more you need multiple sources. You need independent confirmation for something that's like big and juicy and like crazy. The crazier something is, the more important it is to have sources. I mean basically the more newsworthy it is, the more important it is to have multiple sources. And I think the time you need to be – particularly careful is if you're reporting on something like this where it's just incredibly inflammatory because it fits into ongoing political debates and culture wars. So it can both be true that Kessler was totally kosher to point out that a story had gone super viral on the basis of pretty thin reporting and that his skepticism turned out to be misplaced because we now know that an arrest was made in this case, and it looks like the story was legit. But I just thought a lot of people were missing the point uh, in going after Kessler. And, and frankly, it just seems like they're mad that 
he questioned a story that is important for their politics and their understandable outrage over over these horrible uh, abortion laws. But I, given the many instances in which journalists have screwed up in high profile ways in recent years, it's very weird to me that anyone would. Um, you know, see what Kessler did as an unhealthy rather than a healthy impulse. I got into a conversation on Twitter with Wesley Lowry on, on some of this stuff. You know, he famously wrote a column about moral clarity, has very specific ideas of who we should trust and who we shouldn't trust. And um, it might be worth checking out. It was an interesting conversation. I read Carmone jumped in too, but I just, he basically said that it wouldn't surprise him if cops lied because cops have lied a lot, but it would surprise him if a medical profession in this woman's position lied. And I, I'm just sort of skeptical of the idea that you can decide beforehand who you can trust uh, to be the touchstone of a keystone of a, of a single source story and who you can't just on the basis of like, who's a cop versus who's a doctor. Uh, Lowry has rightly pointed out that in the past journalists have been too credulous about police sources, which is, True, you shouldn't be, but I I don't think the fact that this was a named source should you know that makes it stronger than if she hadn't been named if it had been anonymous. That I I don't think this should be enough to if an editor had said we don't want to I don't want to run this until you get independent confirmation because it's so explosive. I think that editor would have been doing their job well, and I think the next time this happens. It might not be confirmed. And and one important point I think a lot of people are missing, although I should credit someone pointed out, I forget who, is um, this was confirmed. Like the journalist who had this story could have conceivably held it until until the court case popped up and it was easier to report on. Uh, I mean, uh, whether or not they could actually do that would depend on, on certain things not worth going into, but it's like you could have just waited. You could have waited until you had it more. So... I don't know. I found this interesting. I might have more thoughts on it, but let's go to Justin for now. Justin, what is up? Hey there, Jesse. Uh, thanks for having yeah. me, Paul. Um, I, I, I want to kind of agree with Glenn and also disagree with Glenn on, uh, I think, maybe a minor point in his article. Um, first of all, like, it wasn't just the single sourcing. There was, like, tons of red flags about that story. Uh, the original reporting um, it was, you know, it was the doctor, she was an abortion doctor, the rape was mentioned offhand, sorry to use, like, that kind of language, but um, it, uh, there, there was, it was mentioned offhand, there was no follow-up inside of the article or anywhere else, like, oh yeah, we know, like, any details about, you know, there was a perpetrator, there was an arrest, there was a court case. Um, that was very alarming in terms of the original reporting. Yeah. Um, and then, a little bit after that, you know, was the AG, I think, came out and said, like, we've we have no records of of this uh, of this case. I think anywhere. they basically accused it of being a hoax. Right. Yeah. But I mean, there were, you know, uh, other people who were saying, like, this doesn't this doesn't add up in, in addition to the, the miasma that was kind of floating around just the, the lack of clarity in the original reporting. Um so I, I think Sketchton was totally warranted at the front, and I I truthfully wonder why 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 something so so heavy could be dropped in that article with no further exploration, um, and I suspect that the doctor said don't look into it, or the reporters knew and chose not to write about it, probably for non journalistic reasons. I'll say. Um, 
you think you you're saying they had an agenda to because of their own beliefs um yeah i i either the doctor who who broke the story to the outlet or they shared something and they did confirm it which was maybe why the editors were okay to go forward with the story they knew they had those additional details um but they chose not to write about them and i that journalistically is very hard for me to uh to just to 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 have that be a reason why they chose not to do to write about it yeah uh no that that makes sense to me i mean i you know i still think there's some complexity here but uh yeah, I, I can't really argue with that. Yeah, uh, yep. Yeah. And uh, I've, if if you disagree, I would love to hear it too. Don't, don't feel like you need to to be nice to me just because I. Oh, no, no, I, I never feel like you need job. to be nice. I mean, I, I guess it's just hard to know what was in the journalist's head, and I can imagine there have been times when yeah. I've like wanted to report stuff, but didn't think I had it locked down enough to do it, and that's a tricky situation to be in. And in this case, it turned out to be something that happened. I saw people, some of the people I was like debating with online suggested like maybe the journalist had, um, they had verified it in some other way, but not mentioned it in the story. I was sort of surprised to see Irene and Wesley suggest that because like that, you can't do that. Like if you need to show your work, sometimes showing your work might be, you might have to say something sort of shitty. Like, uh, we were able to independently confirm that this happened, but because of privacy considerations, we can't go into more details. That's preferable to just like not explaining, showing your work at all. There's times when you can't exactly show your work because of privacy concerns. You can't say, right. um, but they, but they, it's just, it's very thin. If you reread the top of the story, it's very thin. It's, it's just the doctor saying that. And, um, yeah, yeah. So that's where I'm at on it. Uh, I do want to add another thing about that article that I really didn't like it, though. I, I may just be having read that section wrong. Uh, Glenn essentially ends up saying that, um, well, this was repeated so much. It's essentially a fact now. And um, I couldn't tell. It wasn't obvious to me if he was saying that this is how we determine facts sometimes, or if that was a condemnation of, how things get into the public consciousness um being a fact checker you think that would be a very important thing to to avoid you're saying like you know the provenance of this didn't matter it's it's out there it's basically was what's the logic yeah um i mean i I agree with him that once something spreads that that far and wide it is effectively a fact because the debunking, if it ends up needing debunking, will reach a tiny fraction of the of the number of people. So I just think that's like an unfortunate aspect of how the online world works. So in your opinion, that wasn't a sometimes this is just the methodology. That was more a this is an unfortunate circumstance that information can reach the public consciousness. Um, sorry, you're saying do I have a problem with the way he phrased it? No, I, I my interpretation was that he said uh you know, sometimes when you're trying to figure out what a fact is, if a lot of people said it, it's just a fact as a fact checker. And oh. <laughs> he, he gotcha. specifically dismissed provenance yeah. in the following phrase. I'd have to look closer like, at that. Sorry. The only I, think thing that matters. <laughs> I think I misunderstood that. I'd have to look closer. But uh, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound quite right, actually. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. We'll take, give it a look if you want. I, I thought that was an interesting part of the article. Gotcha. All right. Uh, thanks for your research. I'll let you get on, man. Thank you, Justin. Uh, we got Patrick and then Rose. After that, the queue's empty. If anyone else has a question or comment, now would be a good time to jump in. Patrick, what is up? 
Hey, Jesse. Uh, hope we aren't you know, up too late. Uh, no, I'm always up now. It's just a question of how crisp I am, but I'll let you guys be the judge of that. Okay. Uh, so I followed a little bit of the conversation between uh, you and uh, Lowry regarding kind of which sources have a pure moral character. And it seems like people have that kind of collective amnesia that happens where didn't the Rolling Stone get humiliated like a year ago for reporting about from a doctor source about like Oklahoma uh, – uh, pa- patients who are suffering from ivermectin poisoning. Yeah, well, it's my one of my Twitter nemeses, Owen Higgins, uh, helped spread. Who, who's now, of course, criticizing people like me who question the story. And I, I never said it was false. I just endorsed Kessler's questioning of it. But um, yes, this was a viral story spread in outlets like Rolling Stone about not that some people had been poisoned by ivermectin but that which has happened but that so many people were that like gunshot victims were having to get rerouted that the the emergency rooms were just flooded with ivermectin victims and it had the same feel as this story where it's just like you know a partisans sort of dark fantasy of like look at the horrible effects of this policy or these beliefs and those are always the stories you should be most skeptical of and part of the reason i'm pissed that people are (laughs) pissed at kessler is like you know this stuff happens fairly frequently and journalists often engage in the misinformation so i think i just think you got to cut kessler some slack for for expressing skepticism we need people to uh you know express skepticism yeah, I, I don't understand with, like, the kind of haranguing people for being skeptics. Like, if you're wrong about being skeptical, you offer a mea culpa, but I don't think it's necessarily anything wrong. Uh, just for the exact reasons you point out, there are a lot of, like, kind of false reportings. If we believed everything everyone told us. Uh, I don't know, trust but verify, I think, is the motto that I think most people should kind of be going for. And we, we just we were kind of lacking by that. Like, as you were saying, based upon the story, there could be other things that could be mentioned, like uh, the doctor that I talked to uh, showed me a copy of her report that she was required to do as an underage victim of uh, sexual assault to government authorities kind of thing, or just something that is other than just, like, this doctor kind of told me Yeah, that's a good example of the way you could confirm it without violating anyone's privacy. Like... And I don't really buy the idea that the doctor would refuse to – like the doctor could cover up the kids. I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can imagine them confirming the story or at least giving readers the sense that they confirm the story without violating anyone's privacy. Because obviously reporting on minor victims of sex crimes is very fraught. I don't think it's something I've ever done. I bet there's a lot of like complexities to it I wouldn't presume to even ima- be able to imagine. But um, there are ways to – to confirm things. And, you know, at the end of the day, these reporters were comfortable uh, reporting that this crime took place. So from listening to the various journal podcasts that I listen to, I'm, I understand that basically report, uh, having to do a correction is one of the kind of most embarrassing things for a journal to do. So you want to be make sure that your kind of facts are straight before you kind of report. So what kind of procedural safeguards are there, like, for people with reporting? Uh, this kind of thing, because if this had turned out to be false, it's a very big thing to be kind of false about. And it just seems like I, I guess the journalist was uh, had good instincts in trusting this kind of source. But uh, I don't know, like there are a lot of kind of like things people tell me where I would want like 
kind of more uh, kind of backing up just to kind of go on someone's word. Yeah, I mean, it just the the it's all the, the reason this is a heated debate is because these are all like judgment calls and they're very subjective. And different editors will have different standards for like what they'll allow to run sort of on their watch. Um, so you know, in this case. You would like to think the journalist got some sort of confirmation, whether, like you said, like filling out that form or talking to the doctor on the other end who sent the kid across state lines. But I just, I just, I don't know what the safeguards were because, again, it was not written in a way that signposted to readers, "We did our job here. We did our job carefully," which is, I think, why it caught. Ca- I mean, I think it caught Kessler's eye because it went viral. But I would imagine he had the same response I did when I read the top of the story, which is just like the, the sourcing seems thin on this. I think the last thing I have is uh, where, where do kind of ethical privacy kind of considerations come in where it doesn't sound like the person, the, are the journalist talked to like the family member uh, or someone associated with the child. It was reported from the doctor who's saying like this kind of thing happened. Whereas like, we know that the person did uh, eventually uh, sexually assault someone because the criminal charges were brought but we don't necessarily know anything about the abortion or whether or not, I guess, this child even wants it to be known that uh, she had to get an abortion because of this. You're saying, so what are the ethics of, like, reporting on the story at all? Well, uh, yeah, I guess on the story at all. Like, Yeah. Um, I think the journalist would probably say we didn't include any information that will identify exactly who the kid is or where this took place. And you, you, you can absolutely report on stuff without the consent of the, the people in this st- story. Like it, it's more complicated with kids, but I, I, you could make a strong public interest case that, you know, this is an important thing to get out there. Uh, and sometimes you do disregard the wishes of the people involved with a minor. It's different. A minor, if they'd asked the kid and the kid said, yes, that wouldn't, that wouldn't matter. A 10-year-old's consent doesn't mean anything. So they, I guess they would have had to ask the parents, but it sounds like, yeah, they weren't in touch with the parents or parent. I guess that's where it kind of gets a little bit kind of iffy for me because it's true that the minor's information is hidden, but we know who the culprit is. So if you want to do backtracking for it, you can probably figure that information. Yeah, although by that same logic, as soon as like the the information was entered into the court system. Anyone who stumbled upon this could have found it too. It's like no longer a private event. Well, I guess that's true, but uh, yeah, that gets a little bit dicier. I guess that's the kind of thing about like, uh, I'm sure this kid doesn't want their spot blown up, which is why the whole laws regarding privacy of minors are in place. To yeah. be- I understand that's kind of the journalistic sidestep around. It just makes me a little uneasy, but I guess uh, life's full of kind of choices that you have to deal with. Without, along those lines, yeah, yeah, exactly, and they're not—they're not easy uh, decisions, not easy calls. All right, well, that's it for me, Jesse. All right, thanks, Patrick. Uh, Rose, how's it going? Rose, you got to uh, unmute yourself if possible. All right, I'm going to skip to Alex. Rose, if you uh, get back in the queue, I'll bump you to the front. Alex, what is up? Hey, man, you're very low. Can you just turn your uh, audio all the way up? I can't hear you at all. I'm sorry. Try to try to increase your gain if you can. Adam, what is up? Alex, I'll take you if you can get back and figure out the mic thing. You got some technical issues. Adam. Hmm. You're also very low. I think Colin should fix this. Wait, here we go. That's a little better. Can you hear me now? Yeah, that'll work. Hey, can you hear me? 
Oh, man. Sorry, guys. Alex, let's try this again. Hello, Jesse. Can you hear me? There we go. That's much better. Okay, yeah. I took off my phone protector. Uh, yes, I had a quiet reporter was talking to the... Looks like the mom was saying, what rapist is that it's all lies. So, which, I mean, it's obviously a child rape mom or something like that. Like, like it seems like she's kind of defending dude. Sorry, what, uh, where are you seeing this? Yeah, I mean, I want a chance to, like, Bonilla J.M.? Oh, J.L. Uh, okay, yeah, the, I mean, I, I have no idea. I just, I, I'd have to look into this. I do, you know, Newsbusters is, like, a um, partisan source. That doesn't mean it's not true. I just, so you're saying, he, you're saying that he's saying that the mom said it was a lie about the rape. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the problem is there there are these like pretty big debates in journalism right now about there's been like a reaction against um sorry I'm gonna sneeze once I call mute it. There's okay, there's always been debates in journalism about objectivity and lately we've that debate's been cresting and there's been people saying like we objectivity is like a myth. Whereas I, yeah, I view it as like you can't achieve perfect objectivity, but you should, it should be an ideal and you shouldn't be someone who's like an eager partisan for one side or another to the extent possible. You know, I say that as someone who's pretty outspoken about my beliefs, but tries to, tries to check my biases when possible. Uh, a lot of journalists don't think there's anything wrong with like reporting on abortion while being outspokenly uh in favor of abortion, and I think it's complicated. I don't think you can ban people from covering stuff because they have beliefs, because everyone has beliefs. I think it's more honest to be open about your biases, but I see so many journalists, especially on Twitter, act in a completely unprofessional way in, in situations like this where, again, what Kessler did, there may have been, um thing I forgot to say is Lowry thought that there were some issues with his fact-checking, and that Lowry didn't think he did a good job knowing which agencies to contact flaws in his reporting, stuff like that. But at the end of the day, what he did is what you're supposed to do. That is the way journalists are supposed to think and be trained, and I just, I'm worried that that's sort of on the way out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. And I think there's two separate issues. One is uh, whether it was right for Kessler to have sort of rang some alarm bells about this story, which I think it was, and then there are more nitty-gritty questions about the quality of his own fact-checking efforts, and Lowry... I thought made some fair points that he didn't really know how to go about confirming this. I haven't done that kind of reporting. I wouldn't have known the best way to go about it either. I did I did think he seemed to be pretty thorough, but Lowry, people should just go to the thread to see uh, his argument. But um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean, that's the whole thing. You need to, to assume human frailty, assume not that like your sources are all liars, although once in a while they were, but just assume stuff can go wrong. That's why we have these guardrails. That's why we try to seek multiple sources or, uh, and confirm things independently. It's just because, like, humans are humans. Shit happens. It's not because you, you think everyone's the devil. Uh, so I just, the lack, again, the lack of skepticism, the lack of standards uh, sort of bothered me. But um, thank you for the call, Alex. Those are good points. I'll, I'll watch that video. I'm a little bit skeptical when I saw Newsbusters come up because they're a pretty partisan source. But, uh, yeah. Uh, have a good night, Alex. Too personal. What is up two? Two, you gotta unmute yourself. Oh man, we got dropped. Uh <laughs> be all kinds of technical difficulties tonight. This mic thing is like it keeps coming up. Uh I think it was since a recent update. If anyone else wants to uh jump in the queue, definitely do so. Or if you have a question or anything. Um 
Yeah, I, like I generally. Oh, let's see. We got two and then Patty. All right, two. Can you? Uh... Hey, Jesse. There we go. How's it going? Awesome. Um, I've been listening to you and Katie for a while. I am a high school teacher, um, and I just I, I I've never experienced this platform before. I don't know how it works, so I'm just gonna lay it out Do- there. Um. I'm interested in uh, what you think about the difference between sort of gender and the race issue. Um, I read something earlier today that equated sort of the idea that gender doesn't really exist. It, you know, is whatever we want it to be. And sort of the idea that race is the same thing. Um, And I kind of, equated this to the idea of like how we uh, procreate the idea that if you take a yellow lab and a black lab and mate them that you get an equal mix of yellow and black labs but if you take a a white man and a uh, black woman you get a sort of mixture of uh, genetic characteristics, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, the idea that gender is not the same as race, and that race maybe doesn't exist. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really complicated. Basically, my understanding of the controversy is that the emerging progressive consensus is that you can identify into a gender uh, or sex. But people are very offended, even as they argue that race is a social construct that doesn't really exist, which to a certain approximation I agree with. Uh, they're outraged at the idea that, you know, someone could identify into a race. And um, I've never quite understood why one is obviously true and one is obviously false, like even just normatively. I've never understood why it's obviously true someone can identify into being a woman but not into being black. I think the most obvious answer is like we have a lot of evidence that gender dysphoria exists. Uh, we don't really have evidence for something, you know, equivalent to racial dysphoria. But even there, it doesn't really work because the emerging consensus is you don't need to have gender dysphoria to identify as a woman in the first place. You can just anyone who says they're a woman is a woman. So this is the kind of thing that gets you a lot in a lot of trouble if you draw that comparison. I've never, and also like there's a subset of philosophers, at least on Twitter, who will say oh, you know, do the reading. We've answered this forever ago. I've I've never seen an answer that fully makes sense. And I I actually think sex and gender have a much stronger biological origin than than race. So I don't, I don't, I can't say I understand it. I know what you're not supposed to say, but I don't know why you're not supposed to say it. (laughs) Other than than that, like, I think people think that that would denigrate transgender identities uh, if you compared it to Rachel Dolezal. But um, yeah, does that make, is that sort of more or less what you're asking? Yeah, I think so. Um, I'm just, uh, man, it's interesting to talk to you. I've been listening to you for so long. It's kind of weird. Um, But yeah, I I think the Rachel Dolezal question is a really interesting aspect because there's a part of me that thinks like, here's a woman who's kind of like appropriated people for her own regard. But at the same time, like is is race actually a thing? And I've been listening to Camille Foster somewhat on that respect. And um, I just, I think if we all just kind of like uh, maybe 
understood the aspects of our lives that are biological and understood the aspects of our lives that are not biological, we might have a better understanding of where we are. Yeah, I think that's well put. I also think biological and non-biological sort of dance with one another and interact in ways that are you know, hard for us to fully understand. So we sometimes err by putting things all in one category or the other. But um, yeah, sure. no, it's a, it's a good question. It's it's hard for me to answer it in a comprehensive way on the spot. Partly because I don't I don't know. But um, yeah, hopefully I, I at least gave a faithful rendering of like what the debate is. I I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks. Call in any time. Patty, what is up? Hey, um, Jesse, you missed a chance to put in a plug for your own work just a second ago, uh, that co- controversy over the philosopher Rebecca Tuval or Tuvel. I'm not sure how it's spoken. Yeah, this was like the biggest blow up. In, uh, yeah, she wrote an article on transracialism, not a book, which I haven't read, but uh, her argument was basically the re- – so you know all this, Patty. I'm just explaining what else. No, I- uh, her, her argument was like all the reasons we use to accept transgender people could be used – to accept transracial people. Um, she didn't draw a direct comparison. She's saying by that logic and this infuriated people and they spread, I, I thought basically spread lies about what was in the article. So I did an article about that in God knows how long ago. I want to say 2017. Yeah, it was, it was 2017. It's an excellent article. I, I strongly recommend Thank you. it. We actually read it. My, uh, my academic unit, we, we talked about the case and yours was one of your sources that we used for that. So, Hey, you've, you've penetrated into the, the inner sanctum there. <laughs> I appreciate that. Do, do you know? Do you know if uh, Rebecca Tuvel's book is out? By the I way? thought it was. I haven't. I should have like asked her a review copy. I might as well just Google this mm-hmm. while we're doing it. Rebecca Tuvel book: Changing Race, the Ethics and Metaphysics of Transracialism. But it doesn't. I don't think it's out yet, or at least it's not listed. All right. Well, I'll keep an eye out for that. And I would just say, yeah, for anybody who's kind of, you know, wanting to dig in deeper uh, into how this issue became so fraught and where it became fraught and what some of the major turning points were, that was definitely a major episode in that. And, and you know, I spent probably a week going down a rabbit hole when the whole thing first. It was out, incredibly so. intense when it happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I wanted to do is come back for just a second to the topic you started with yeah. tonight and, uh, Push a little harder on what I see as, as Glenn Kessler's weaknesses, and God knows I've been going off in the in the bar pod uh, Wednesday open thread about this, and on Washington Post and on Twitter. So I'm I'm you know at the point where I've completely lost my own mind. But it, it does seem to me important to note that you know Kessler's got considerable resources, and you know so, so something like hey you know getting an intern or somebody on the staff there to call up. Uh, Somebody in Ohio could who could explain to them what our structure is like. We've got child protective services as a state in- agency, but many of the counties also have child advocacy centers that are there really to support the, the children and the families. Uh, that intern could have also learned more about the uh, the privacy uh, rules and norms and laws that that surround this. Uh, one of the things to know about Ohio is that weirdly we have eighty eight counties. I don't know how we got so many, but we've got a lot. It's a and lot. It's really a lot. Yeah. Um, and that's something West Lowry knows, by the way, because he he went to school here in Ohio, where I teach, actually. Um, so oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he, he was uh, uh, editor of the the college newspaper um, his senior year here, so that's that's where it all began. But um, so so you know, for for Dave Yost to make the assertion that he knows what's going on, or for Kessler, for that matter, to make the assertion that a spot check of several different um, 
major cities was going to cover it. That that you know, to my mind, was was just really sloppy. And of course, Indianapolis Star is a major city newspaper, but if they're anything like the Columbus Dispatch, they are running on fumes, like so much of journalism. And, and the Washington Post is one of the few outfits that really does have the uh, the resources to go after that. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know why. I don't want to judge because who knows, but like, why could the indie star journalist not have helped Glenn Kessler confirm this? Um, mm-hmm. They might have their reasons, but a pro journalist like Glenn Kessler is not going to like splash the girl's name across the pages of the Washington post. I just, what everything you're saying makes sense. But like the reason he had to do those spot checks is because he couldn't get anything from the reporters or their editors. Now, to be clear, if a, Someone from another another journalist emails me. He's like, "I demand you confirm X, Y, Z." I don't have to, but I, in this case, I'm just not sure why they didn't. And it could be there's a good answer to that. I'm just failing to be able to summon one in the moment. I, I do feel like there's often a, a very high index of suspicion, and you know, I'm I'm largely in agreement with that because I remember when the Rolling Stone uh, rape expose blew up a few years ago. That was not good for anybody who works in no. rape crisis. Right. It was just it was really bad for everybody, including victims. Um, So I think it is really important to hold this, you know, to a high standard. On the other hand, I think that there is often a kind of knee jerk, just disbelief, like really a 10 year old really isn't, you know, the timing of this just too perfect. And in fact, when you've got, you know, one one, uh, you know, under 15 year old a week getting an abortion uh, over the last few years in Ohio, it's not a rare occurrence by any means. I'm not talking about pregnancies altogether. I'm talking about actual abortions about one a week. Yeah. So, so I think that, you know, I guess we're all getting a crash course in, in the, just how awful <laughs> this part of the world is. And I'm not talking about the journalists now, but, you know, just, just the, the depths of depravity and also the depravity, frankly, of the Ohio GOP, which is really, I mean. I know no, this is disgusting. So, oh, I mean, I think Texas is worse, but boy, we're giving them a run for it. it just the, anyway. That's- no, I appreciate that. Uh, that all makes sense to me. The the uh, to write these laws without rape and incest, it's, I, it's just I find it sick. I obviously have different views on abortion. I, I yeah, I don't need to go in like whole thing on that, but no, it's it, yeah, it's look this this appears to have happened, and this is the kind of thing that will continue to happen, and it's like. It's a nightmare for the girl involved, and I, I just, I think a lot of conservative voters know that, and they don't have particularly radical views on this. But there's just these weird dynamics where states end up passing laws far to the right of what their constituents want. I, I don't know. I hope they're punished for it because stuff like this shouldn't happen. We're we're too gerrymandered to do anything. Yeah, about that's the thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I said weird dynamics. We know what the dynamics are. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Anyway, I could go on all night, but you've got others here, and, and so just you know, thanks for for st- you know keeping us all honest, and uh, hopefully we'll have some better news soon. To talk uh, about. I hope so. Thank you, and Patty. Will- yep. Take care, Christina. Christina, hit the little thing in the lower right to. Uh, there we go. All right, there I am. All right, sorry about that. Yeah, um, uh, I, I kind of want to add on to um, what a uh, previous uh, caller was saying. I look, I don't necessarily disagree that there were questions in the original reporting and that there were reasons to maybe want to look into why to fact check things. But to play devil's advocate a little bit, 
Glenn Kessler works for the Washington Post. The, um, you know, the Indianapolis Star and the Dispatch are both part of Gannett. Their executive editors could have very good reason to not want to give the Washington Post any information at all. Like it might not be up to the reporter. I mean, I'm just thinking if, if someone, I, I, I'm not um, a full-time journalist anymore, but I was for a long time. I'm an engineer now. And if someone contacted me, another reporter contacted me questioning the veracity of my reporting and demanding me to hand over information about that so that they could write it in a fact-checking column, especially if it was a competitor, which Gannett absolutely sees Washington Post as a competitor, I would honestly, I would tell them to go fuck themselves, especially about something this sensitive. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't understand. I mean, I, I do understand why Glenn Kessler wanted to dig more to this, but I mean, it, by all accounts, they, they got the goods. They had someone who was on the record as a doctor under her own name who said she did the procedure. Now you can question, you know, did they do they had, did they have more information than that? And that I don't know, but I think that, I, I am going to push back and say, I don't think that it was um, up to the journalists at the star at all to help Glenn Kessler, you know, write his column. I, I just don't think it was up to them. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's an interesting question. It's like what the relate, what is the relationship between you, a journalist at one publication and a fact checker at another one, especially a competitor and like the, one of the big dogs. Um, I guess I would say I'm trying to put myself in that position. I mean, you don't want to put yourself in a position where then the Washington Post can piggyback on your reporting or unfairly steal it or anything like that. I just think there was probably some limited way for them to get Kessler what he needed that wouldn't put their own reporting at risk or wouldn't really be a matter of competition. The other thing is I'm not sure I buy the competition thing because – a big fact-checking feature in the Washington Post is going to drive a huge number of eyeballs to what was a local story. Right? Well, I mean, it could. I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I know, like, as you do, like, the the local papers have been decimated, and they're now being run by these, you know, fucking. No, you, no like, you go, no, if you go to the Indie Star website, it's all they all have the same oh, template, I, and you just know right, that it means right. they're fucked. Yeah, right, exactly. And so what I'm saying is, like, at this point, if you know, because you would have to go to an executive editor before you could respond to someone like this, right? Like, yeah. for a story this sensitive, the reporter doesn't have the ability to respond. The executive editor who's going to be at the you know direction of the Gannett people, it, the Gannett people might not see it that way. They might not see, oh, we could get promo out of this. They might be like, oh, fuck no, we're going to be, we, we need to sell subscriptions yeah. and we're not going to give this to the Post. I mean, I'm just saying like, I, I don't disagree that it wouldn't have been nice if that happened, but I also don't think that's disqualifying or that it should be expected that, you know, other reporters should should be doing the work for him the same way that it shouldn't be expected that the doctor give any you know patient identifying information um or or anything else um i think in the in the bark pod comments someone was was commenting it might have been your um your previous um uh caller who's saying that the types of people who would have been able to make the determination about whether you know a, a young girl had been raped or not like that's a very sensitive sort of thing and they are not allowed to give any information, probably even like, you know, confirming that something happened to someone, let alone a reporter. So, sure. I, Although, but I will say, just I, I, what you're saying makes sense, and and maybe I'm I'm disregarding certain possibilities about why the Indy Star wouldn't want to cooperate. But I will say, the thing about the privacy, 
she did tell the world about this abortion she performed on the record. So, like, right. her concerns about the privacy only went so far. Well, that's that's fair. But I'm not even talking about her. I'm talking about, like, the, the, the person who, you know, reported it, um, like, the CPS person who, who wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't give that person's name. That's what gotcha. I'm saying. Like, you know, like, I, and, and I don't know. I, I think the doctor, the guy was, was only arrested on Tuesday. I don't know if this guy would have been arrested if this wasn't a national story. So, which, which I also think we need to consider. Um, yeah. Although that would, that would raise some questions about like the mandated reporting not going on. Uh, it, it would, well, I mean, yeah. but, but, but it was reported three weeks earlier. It was reported three weeks earlier. The abortion happened two weeks earlier. He, it took three weeks for them to arrest him. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just being honest. Like I, my, my mom um, is retired now, but she was a child psychologist in um, school system and the amount of the difficulty in the sort of charges and stuff to brand these things is. Horrific. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine. I, I'm yeah. just going to be completely candid. The fact that it took three weeks for them to arrest this guy and they clearly were able to get a confession, you know, relatively quickly. And they had like the girl, you know, reporting what happened. I, I'm just going to be honest. I don't know if that if, if we would have had an arrest if this wasn't a national story. I'm glad we do. But um, anyway, yeah. I'll, I'll, I, I, no, no, no. These are I, 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 everything. This is challenging me in a useful way, and I think you're making fair points. I need to, um, yeah, I need to like think more about that moment when a fact checker. Yeah, and you're right. The reporters didn't have the final say. They had to run that up the flagpole for sure. So uh, I appreciate it, Christina. It's a good call. All right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let somebody else come in. Thanks so much. Our last call. Thank you, Christine. Our last call is going to be Justin F. Justin F., make it a good one. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. The eyes um, of the world are on you, the 93 other people on the planet. Um, I was actually uh, kind of sparked up by something that your the couple callers ago said, the one I think her name was two, uh, uh, about gender and kind of uh, how how it gets treated. So uh, I listened to a podcast very recently. I don't want to name it because I don't want to be a dick to you, Jesse. Uh, but it was uh, it was they they talked about um, on a genetic side, kind of how race gets defined and how that's difficult and messy and a whole bunch of stuff. Um, if it's a thing that you're curious about, Miss um, Two, uh, send me a message and, and I'll, I'll. Wait, wait. Why would it be a dick to me about mentioning the podcast? It just seems not kosher to jump on your show and be like, "Hey, guys, go listen to this other show." No, what what podcast was it? That sounds interesting. Um, it, it was on uh, Cut the Bowl um, uh, podcast with Wilfred Riley, is the main guy that I listened to it for. Uh, Shamika Michelle and another guy whose name escapes me right now. I'm no, sorry. of course. Um, Sounds interesting, but yeah, they they had they they had a genetics geneticist from either side on the podcast, and uh, it was very interesting to listen to. It's kind of there's a lot of fuzzy lines there too, but I have a feeling the caller was more interested in uh, from a cultural definition side and how how kind of we treat race. Um, um, but on the gender side, uh, something very interesting. So um, there's. Like a, a really prominent figure on Twitter, her name's Ayla. She's like a uh, like an OnlyFans girl, but she posts a lot of like interesting, thought provoking content on a non pornographic account. And I'm not here to talk about that kind of thing. <laughs> and um, she posted a poll, and it was basically, "Do you have an internal sense of being male or female?" Which is basically, "Do you have a sense of gender within yourself?" Is how I understood that. And um, I was surprised 
that more people didn't feel the way that I did about it, which was like, no, I don't. I feel tired. I feel angry, but I never feel like I'm male or a man. I just am because that's what that means. Yeah. I was curious if, if, if you have a conception of that within yourself uh, or anybody else. I think it's just an interesting question to ponder. And um, I'll, I'll spread out the last bit and then you can go off on it. Um, and she said, if you don't feel that, then technically that would mean you were agender, not cisgender. And I understand why in the gender framework that makes sense, but I just don't think that's appropriate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been thinking of writing this newsletter for a while. I always, obviously, have a tortured relationship with the subject, but uh, I definitely don't think I have a gender identity. And I think one of the flaws with this philosophy of what gender and identity are is it's a definition for things like man and woman that would exclude a lot of people who I think should be included as men and women. Like I think I should be included as a man because I'm a male and I'm six, three, two thirty, or whatever it is. Like I, I, I'm a man and I don't feel like a man. I don't identify as a man in the sense these guys and gals and MB say so, but I find the concept of gender identity pretty, um, either incoherent or relying on stereotypes. This is not a new critique. People yeah. should look up Alex Byrne, B-Y-R-N-E. Um, so I, I, I don't resent it in a way that keeps me up at night, but I sort of resent being told, yes, you have that thing. And now a common response is, well, the only reason you don't think you have it is because you're cisgender. It's like, I, I don't really buy that. Like, I, I think you the person saying gender identity is important and should be written into legislation have defined it. I've looked at your definition, introspected, and said, I, I don't buy it. So I don't know what an internal sense of being male would be if it's not either a stereotype or if it's just the absence of gender dysphoria, which again, gender dysphoria is not a requirement for being trans. We've heard that over and over again. That doesn't make sense to say you have an identity based on not having an aversion to body parts. Does that mean I have like an identity corresponding with being okay with having two hands? Like it's like, no, you just are. So I'm with you. I don't think I have a gender identity. I think most of what I've read about gender identity doesn't make sense. I think it's just they're trying to just like sort of – it seems to me – I'm still open to hearing someone explain to me what I'm wrong about this. I've – been thinking about it for a few years now and try to do some reading, but um, uh, not enough reading. I need to do more. But I, I've just never heard a version of it that quite makes sense or that doesn't that resonates with me. And it's just weird to me that the definition of what a man is would exclude me from being a man. I think that probably suggests there's something severely conceptually wrong with these definitions. It, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think it's, I think it's just defining a thing into existence that is yeah Are, you're familiar with like the myers-briggs um like the personality yeah. type tests yep it, it, it feels like gender is just another one of those there's loads of those for all kinds of different purposes they measure something they report something they're repeatable upon an individual but how much are they you know true in any kind of biological or psychological senses i i think as much grounding as gender has all right, man. Thank you. I'll, I'll, I'll leave. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you. And I, I just will say, none of this. This doesn't mean people don't have strong senses themselves of being male or female. Like people, there are obviously people who feel very male or female so much that they'll turn their lives upside down to to enact that. But that doesn't mean that 
people feel a lot of things. People feel very connected to God. That doesn't mean that they're actually connected to God. It doesn't mean orthodox. Like, there's just a difference between subjective feeling and, like, which concepts are useful and should be written along and so on. Anyway, good, a lot of good calls tonight, including yours, Justin. Thank you for finishing us up strong. Uh, I feel like I gained some steam for some of that. I felt I don't think I'm going to be doing a lot of 11 p.m. ones going forward. But uh, there was really good conversation today, really good pushback. That's why I stayed on a little bit longer than usual. But uh, thank you guys for joining me. I like how we, we started with the super light subject of a 10-year-old getting raped and needing to get an abortion. Then we you know, just finished it up with is gender identity real? So uh, some heavy stuff going on. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, I would just ask if you uh, like what I'm doing here, tell other people about it. Uh, spread the word and uh, check out my newsletter. I've got a big article coming out finally on uh, Leon County, Florida. Crazy schools. Controversy there. I thought it would be up tomorrow, realistically. We're probably looking at Monday, but I don't think later than that. JesseSingle.Subsite.com, BlockReporter.org, ESPN.com. You know, all the – that was just a random one. Okay. I'm not making any sense. It's time to go. Bye, everybody.